Hello, everyone, and welcome to the holiday edition of Irenacast, the weekly podcast dedicated to conversations on faith and culture. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. This week, we have a holiday extravaganza for you. We are going to be having many segments and many topics, and it's... (laughs) (laughs) And many little ounces of fun and holiday spirit. Yes, Alan, thank you for covering my... my, You're welcome. My fumble. (laughs) Um, So we're going to do... Each of us has a little topic, I guess topic slash rant, depending upon how we approach it. Soapbox. Uh, Yeah, soapbox. There you go. That's a good one. Uh, Mona is going to be bringing forth the the topic of the magic of Christmas. I'm going to be talking about the war on Christmas. And Alan is going to deconstruct your favorite holiday myths. (laughs) (laughs) And in between, we're going to have some fun segments. We're going to share our favorite Christmas gift, our favorite Christmas song, and our favorite Christmas movie. But to start it all off, we are going to we're gonna. I guess we're gonna start this party right with a little bit of a game from that Mona has for us. We're gonna find out who's who's the most Christmassy. Who's the most Christmassy? Holiday. Yeah. Holiday. Well, yeah. Is that- we, we have to give a disclaimer for this episode though. First, we are totally all about the happy holidays, but since all of us happen to be within a Christian tradition, we're doing Christmas. But this is not, you know, to participate in some kind of war on Christmas to say we have to only celebrate Christmas. So happy holidays to everyone who might be listening who celebrates. Other holidays like Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. Happy holidays to everyone. Yule, or Festivus. Yule time. Let's not forget that one. <laughs> Yule time. We yeah. affirm you and love you. Yep. Solstice. Absolutely. Great. You are welcome to this space. But we are Christmassy here in this particular episode. So just <laughs> a heads up. Okay. Everyone get out a piece of paper and a pen. We're going to play a game piece that of involves paper and points. A pen. So you get to rate okay. yourself. You get to give yourself points. So that's what's fun about this. Okay. So there's there's about 10 questions. All right. Give yourself a point if you put up your Christmas tree and an extra point if it's real. Give your, awesome. Okay. Give yourself. This was the first year I've ever done that. Nice. The, real tree? The real one. Oh, snap. Yeah. We, we've been married for 10 years. It's always been fake. But now it stinks up the house. Anyway. What? Yeah. Subtract that's a point gross. for saying that. I know. You use the word stink to yeah. describe a Christmas tree. No, yeah, yeah. There's actually Christmas wrong. trees that smell like cat pee. That's what they say. Ew. It's like Douglas, Douglas fur or something. No, like they don't. It starts to smell. That's, ra- that's false. That's, that's Ours not doesn't true. smell that bad. It doesn't smell like cat pee, but it smells a little bit weird. Your nose is broken out. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> no, but I'm serious. Man, you guys are full of Christmas out. cheer. No. I'm going to keep that point. <laughs> Real tree. And I put we're, it up. We're in, militant about our Christmas cheer. I'm a militant Christmas celebrator. Okay, give yourself two points if you've taken a Christmas family photo already and three points if you're giving copies to friends and family. Wait, so an additional three points if we're giving to friends and family? Oh, three points total. Does a text message count as a copy? Yeah, what about a Facebook post? I don't think that counts. But what if that's the only way you share with your friends and family? It might be a digital copy, yeah. You, you know what? We're, we're going to be welcoming no. in this space, Jeff. You, you can just, take that point. You can't just spread it out to the whole world. <laughs> I Okay, fine. Whatever. But I'm very selective about my friends list. It's true. Well. <laughs> Did you text it to anyone, Jeff? That's. I think that's the question. Did you message it or text it? No, not yet, but I was oh, going no. to. Okay. But well, you, you have kids. Of I'll, course I'll... you're going to take Christmas family photos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll take the two points. Great. Okay. There you go. All right. Um, three, give yourself one point if you've begun your Christmas baking and three points if you're done with it all. I don't Christmas bake, so this is not applicable. Me neither. You guys Christmas bake? I just got a new oven. I bake like crazy. <laughs> Jeff is going to win this, I have a feeling. <laughs> if getting a bunch of cookies from people at the church counts as baking, then I should No, that absolutely points. does not count. You're not baking the that things. Not- 
that's the that's the opposite of baking. That's okay. That's, that's anti baking. That's a receiving. Yeah. That's that's eliminating someone else's but work from. It, but baking. if I didn't exist, they wouldn't have baked. Yeah, they right. would right. have. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give yourself two points if you've gone Christmas caroling, and an extra point if you plan to go. Oh my gosh! I'll take one because we plan to go today. Actually, Christmas. Okay, caroling. so I guess it would be only one point if you plan to. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Okay, give yourself one point if you've started working on Christmas cards and three points if you've already finished and mailed them. This, this, this is making me feel system, like a bad person. This point system is crazy. Okay, give yourself a point for every Christmas party you've attended in the last two weeks. All right, give yourself a point if you've started Christmas shopping and three points if you're already finished with your Christmas shopping. Uh, I need to buy one more gift, so I got to take that point back. Have you started listening to Christmas music either at home or in your car? If so, give yourself two points. Music at the mall or shopping doesn't count. Can I take like three points because I've been listening to Christmas music since like before October? Oh, God. No, you shouldn't uh, get rewarded for that. I love it. Oh, I love <laughs> it so much. It makes me happy. All right. Um, give yourself a point if you started wrapping your Christmas gifts. And if you've wrapped all of them, you get five points. You guys, I thought I was very Christmassy, but it's turning out I'm not. You've petered out. I thought I wasn't a Christmas And I'm more Christmassy than I thought. Jeff's going to win. Making me sick. <laughs> it's making you sick. <laughs> All right. If you've put Christmas decorations outside your home, give yourself a point and give yourself an extra point if you put up lights. I don't understand what other Christmas decorations beside lights. If you have one of those well, like giant... a reef on your door oh, or okay. uh... I live in an apartment, so that's not really an option for me. I think the manager might get mad at me if I tried to put lights on our building, but hey. Uh <laughs> we did we did situate the tree in the bay window in the front. Um, so other people could enjoy it from the outside. So I, feel I would like, count that. I would count that as a point because you. you purposely did it as a decoration for the outside. It's a public I would service. Count that. Oh, hey, okay, Agreed. then then we can get one too because we put our tree in a but window. But they're in an apartment. Like that's the only thing you can do. Yeah, we're if limited. You're in a house, it doesn't count. Well, we open up the window so people can see the cheer. All right, to make yourself feel better. Okay. Like, give yourself <laughs> that point. Thank you. Okay. Finally, if you wish it was January already. Deduct five points. Ooh. I know. I don't wish it was January. I kind of I kind of do. Is that bad? That's because you started listening to Christmas music in October. It, that's your I, own that's fault. That's true. I get really excited about stuff and kill it way early. It's true. <laughs> you can ask. Oh. So you got to take away five points according to your conscience. I okay. don't want to. I mean, like, Christmas is okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're so distressed. I am distressed. <laughs> If I'm going to play it honestly, I'm going to be the Grinch. The whole. Oh All right, are we ready? Well, let's 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 put okay. these scores out there. I have 14 points. I have three. <laughs> I have s- <laughs> I'm serious. I had to take five off. I would have had eight except for that last stupid thing. I have seven. Oh man! You are the Christmas angel. Freaking love Christmas, you guys. You do. <laughs> Wait. So does it have? Does this quiz have like a scale? Like. Depending upon your points? Uh, no, just you're just total the points. And you, you compare to see who's better. Like, like Grinch I'm to Buddy the Elf. Better than kind of. Know. Yeah. Oh, my God. Buddy the Elf. <laughs> you're basically I feel like that, that last question is unfair. That's what I feel like. Me too. Wait, okay. So why do you guys wish it was January? I feel because like- when, you're, when you're in like ministry and stuff, Christmas 
is it's demystified. Work. It's work. My God, it's just like so tiring and you want to get okay. to that. There should be an extra you know, question. Holiday or whatever. Are you in clergy and are you providing Christmassy things for other people? <laughs> Give yourself 10 points. <laughs> oh, yay. yay. I feel like this just turned into a I'm happy with seven. You're happy with seven? Okay. Yeah. I'm not happy with three. So. It, it makes up the extra Christmassy stuff that I picked up inside from having kids. So now I'm back to normal. Great. <laughs> I feel like I just want to clarify. I do love Christmas. I really do. I feel like this turned into a claymation episode, you know, and they're like, why do you guys wish it was January? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. You're like kicking the ground. You're like, I just wish I could get to Christmas Village, but I can't make it this year. Well, I know a friendly narwhal who can give you a ride, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, All right. I know well, exactly what you're talking about. Now that we're in the holiday spirit, let it let us get to our first discussion, our first topic, the magic of Christmas. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by choir. All right, well, our first topic this week is Magic of Christmas, and this was brought to us by Mona. So, Mona, why don't you go ahead and kind of lay the foundation for this? Sure. So I, the last couple of years, have had a hard time with holidays. And that's kind of a long personal story. But I think that I often am jealous that other people feel the Christmas spirit. And I don't feel it, you guys. I don't feel it. I just feel like I just walk around and everything's gray, you know. Um, but also, I think it's just living in a modern world in a, a scientific age. And so I've, I kind of reflecting on what sociologists call enchantment and the belief that the world is kind of full of magic and wonder and mystery. And we get to find deep joy in that idea. The grandfather of sociology, Max Weber, talked about how scientific societies become really modernized and bureaucratic and secular. They kind of put away rituals that highlight the sacredness or the enchantment or the magic and the the death of those rituals like this you know getting away from religious spaces or or kind of things that would help us recognize the the magic of the moment i'm i'm kind of loosely um covering this uh we we put those things to death because we're in favor of more technological and scientific ways of thinking and being in the world whereas what he called traditional societies um for Weber, he described where the world remains an enchanted, a great enchanted garden. So, so there's this kind of divide between scientific societies and traditional societies. And traditional societies are places where magic still is allowed to reign. And consequently, sociologists mark that people f can experience more joy in existence in the belief that that magic. Okay, so is that magic real? Um, are we supposed to believe in magic just to have joy, you know? Um, but it made me think a lot about Christmas because um, a lot of people get into the whole Santa myth because they love watching the magic in their kids' faces and the joy that the kids experience and that helps them experience joy. And so I've just been thinking about a lot of this kind of stuff about, you know, what 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 makes us have that Christmas spirit, that Christmas feeling? And I know a lot of people say, well, it's really not about the myth at all. It's about helping others. And I want to 
bring up this wonderful video that I saw recently. I think it was an Ikea ad from Spain. So we'll post the link, but you got to see this. It's fantastic. Um, the, the video is called The Other Letter. And so the kids are given a piece of like really pretty stationery and said, hey, write a letter to Santa telling them all the things that you want from Santa. And so the kids get this little look in their eyes. They're like, oh my God, Santa's going to get my letter. And they write their letters, you know, and they're asking for new bikes and whatnot. And then they say, okay, now here, we're going to have you write another letter. And the kids are like, what? We don't know this part. <laughs> this is new. And they say, okay, now I want you to write a letter to your parents telling them what you want for Christmas. And you can see the kids, their little wheels turning in their head. Um, what, what am I going to ask mom and dad for? Because, you know, these are kids at the age like five or six that they don't know the difference between Santa and mom and dad. Um, or the, yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't know that they're the same, I guess. They think there's still a difference. So the kids are thinking and they're thinking and then they start to write. And the letters that the kids write are all saying things like, hey, I wish you would spend more time with me. Thanks for being my parent. Thanks for taking care of me and loving me. And it's more about quality time. Please play with me more. Um, none, of, like, none of the kids that they show ask for anything except for time. And so I thought it was, I mean, it totally made me cry. I'm such a sap about this kind of stuff. But I think, I think, um, yeah, I'd love to get your guys' feedback about like enchantment and magic and that Christmas feeling and what we're taught to think in a commercialized society is stuff. But I think the point of stuff is that we can see joy in the eyes of other people and experience that joy with them. I think it has not, very little to do with stuff. I know we get like really down on the consumeristic culture and that's, there's, there's totally validity to that, but I think it's really trying to find ways to connect with other people. Um, <clears throat> and I'll bring up one other thing that has been really meaningful to me is there's a nonprofit in um, <clears throat> the Southern Boston area called My Brother's Keeper. It's a Catholic charity, and normally during the year, it's very cool, they, they have a huge warehouse and they fill it with um, furniture because a lot of families in impoverished situations get, uh, get in cycles of debt because they have to rent furniture or they rent you know, on, on a regular basis from these like rent-a-center places, and they get stuck in these cycles of debt. So they, the organization, My Brother's Keeper, can actually free up expendable income, disposable income for these families by just giving them quality furniture. So that's what they do most of the year. During Christmas, however, they empty the whole warehouse out. They turn it into what they call Santa's workshop and they have lines of toys and they have it separated out by different um, age groups and they have clothes and they have food and they have bikes and every family has a sheet um, and importantly, they don't ask anyone to take a test. Nobody has to take a drug test or prove that they need these gifts. Like they said that they've delivered gifts to even like people in really big houses who have just gotten laid off and can't afford Christmas. So just anybody who calls in and needs Christmas, like they put together this package for them. So they have for each family, they have a sheet of paper that has the kids ages and what the kids are into. And they give them like three giant 30 gallon trash bags full of presents for each family. And so if you go there and volunteer, you get to walk up into the aisles and like quote unquote shop for the kids. You're not really shopping, but you're, you get the presents, you wrap the presents, you can go out and deliver the presents and deliver food and deliver grocery gift cards. And not only that, but the way that they take care of the volunteers that they feed everybody meals every single day and they give you free coffee and 
cookies like during the day it is just the most phenomenal like celebration of taking care of everybody everybody who gets everybody who gives and then at the end of the day they say you know we just want to tell you all that we've done this because christ has inspired us um to do good in the world and so it's not preachy it's not you know you don't have to belong to the catholic church to get to participate or to be a a recipient and they do this for like thousands of families every year so i tell this story because um this organization has gotten some flack for saying, hey, you guys are participating in this whole Christmas consumerist garbage. And they respond and say, you know what? Everybody deserves the dignity of forgetting about being poor for a day. Everybody deserves, right? Isn't that cool? Like you deserve, even people who are really poor deserve the luxury of being able to escape it every once in a while and just feeling quote unquote normal. And this is what our society is determined as normal. So we're going to participate in that because it is dignity offering. And so seeing the magic in that, in the joy in that, in the connection, in the, the dignity and the joy that people are providing for each other and taking care of each other has been really meaningful to me. And that's one of the only times in the last couple of years I've really felt connected to the joy of Christmas. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just trying to figure it out, you know, like everybody else, but that's kind of my soapbox. I'm trying to figure out what, what enchantment means and like, what, what is this all for? Why do we go through all these rituals? Why do we, why do we have all these things that we do every year? And why is ritual really important? Why is the, the cadence, the rhythm of, doing certain things and having these celebrations like what do we what do we do it for you know those are good well first of all like just as a i don't know as an encouragement is that number one you scored higher as far as like the christmas (laughs) cheer in our previous game than both of us Uh, i did i have christmas cheer i try and second by the very fact that that story and that organization and the things that they do moves you that deeply i mean come on to say that there's there's not magic or or uh, you know some kind of like other unexplainable feeling that's that's inside of you and the way that you approach things is uh, I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say but uh, thanks more than yeah I'm you know we're getting a little sappy here on the show but really like uh, I think when we when we talk about this idea of magic I think that we we put it into this realm of uh, and we've talked a little bit about this before, but the idea that just because there's an explanation or just because we have like a rational view of something doesn't mean we can't have a magical experience with that. Like if someone does a magic trick, which we all know are illusions, like we know that, but we're still in awe when we see it. And even if we know like how it's done, like there's a lot of those magic tricks that I know how they're done, but I could never do them. I don't have the dexterity. So I'm in awe of the talent that it takes to pull something like that off, even though I know everything that belongs into it. So I think that there's, Maybe our, maybe part of the problem is too many people narrow the focus of what is magical and we dismiss everything else that doesn't fit into that. Yeah, the, the, even the temporary um, suspension of disbelief and that can come in art forms and film and, and, and tricks and, and even relationships. Yeah. The suspension of disbelief, like for example, being loved unconditionally or being, getting as close as we possibly can, that's a kind of magic. I mean, we all know it's not possible to completely love someone unconditionally, but when you get really close, it feels magical. It feels supernatural. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think, um, I think it's almost like a false dichotomy. Like there's the magical world and there's the scientific world. And I get why that dichotomy has been set up because there have been some real disagreements between science and magical thinking and certain societies and practices that have not been good for people. And science has helped us move away from that. 
But science itself has rituals. Science itself has like meaning. And I think when we feel like we have this access to the scientific world understanding of the world, we're a little bit deluded. <laughs> like all of us have a perspective. Like we're not actually, this is, this is really funny to me. None of us are really seeing what's actually out there in the world. We are, it, it may be really close, you know, but we are perceiving in our mind things, the photons that come into our eyes, but we're interpreting it all the time. We're, you know, recognizing some things and not recognizing others. And that goes for scientists as much as anybody else. And I think we all have, we all have this, um, desire and maybe like responsibility to create meaning in our lives. And so when you have rituals and holidays and, you know, the enchantment of, um, Christmas to me, that is you stepping into your role as a meaning maker in the world because all you really have is the meaning that you interpret in the world. We all, um, I don't know, we don't have access to the this nihilistic world where nothing means anything because we're all bringing something to the equation. And um, I just think that magical maybe societies or ways of thinking are just more tapped into that than others. I think that um, that that they they recognize that almost that they have that power and that they're belonging to something that's bigger than themselves. But that's yeah, not, there's alternate you know, forms of knowledge. Yeah. And it's not like, yeah. it's not like, uh, the worldview that there is the death of meaning and the death of like magical thinking is beset by some of the same problems it sees in other, other worldviews. And I think that embracing the idea that you are a subjective being allows you to step into that world and step into other ones without having some crisis of conscience. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. That's good. Man, yeah. I feel like you should make a mic drop sound. <laughs> <laughs> well, in in more recent sociologists have have really disrupted that dichotomy that there it's not like enlightenment cultures and traditional cultures like one's better than the other. It's that they're each existing in these forms of wisdom and exactly. they have a lot to learn from each other. Um, yes. And I think for me it brings up the personal death of kind of the faith of my childhood. Um, and that that's getting very deep for a moment, but, but the loss of the ability to make meaning and what the idea that I was raised with that I can no longer, I wish I could, I wish I had this faith, but I just don't anymore because I, I don't know. I, I don't even want to say, cause I know too much. I just, I just don't have that conception of like worshiping the little baby Jesus as God. Like I don't, it's just not in my faith purview. And I don't think I'm like backsliding or, or something. It's just that learning about more about biblical criticism and more about theology and more about how these views were constructed over time. Like I can't hold to a really black and white view of the, the Bible, the manger story. Like, and and I know we're going to talk about that later, Alan, but um, you know, it's so interesting though. It, something occurred to me the other day and I don't know if I heard this somewhere or what, um, but sociologists talk about the the important of the importance of reenchantment, the re, the importance of reenchanting symbols. So, like going through a process of like enchantment, disenchantment, and then finding because enchantment and meaning go together, like you said, Alan. Um, so something occurred to me the other day that um, because my my conception of faith is is way gearing towards social justice and trying to find connections amongst humanity in a really broken world, right? And I, I do think that's the work of God in a, in a really big sense. Um, 
it occurred to me that the symbol of a baby as God is really, really significant. And we don't talk about that actually as much in Christian circles as maybe we should. But the idea that all babies don't have a concept of race, they don't have a concept of gender, they just exist. And so not that that tries to erase difference, but as being kind of a before difference, a proto-humanity, that we are united or, or maybe can be inspired to unite amongst each our, ourselves by focusing on the, the delight and the innocence and the purity of a baby as being the ultimate form of humanity, going back to a childlike state, um, as, as a lot of like great thinkers have written about. Um, so, so I can re-enchant the meaning in that symbol as being really significant in almost a religious sense where my soul is uplifted toward a sense of mystery that like, you know, it, we live in a culture that denigrates um, babies and denigrates children and denigrates women and denigrates um, a lot of people. But to to hold up the the goodness of a baby as being the thing that unites us all, you know, for new life is is very cool. So there there's a there's a grief in the death process of disenchantment, but there's also in that an ability to remake meaning and find new things that give you life. Well said. We're we're obviously all at very different places, and um, it's encouraging to me to see that. Like someone who's going through your process, and I've I've felt a lot of that over the last couple of years. But seeing that you you're still engaging that and desiring to make meaning like that is encouraging to me. Um, I feel like I have to, otherwise, there's no reason to get out of bed. I <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah. that's what a lot of us. And think, it strikes you know? it strikes me that I know this is going to sound maybe pandering or something, but from my perspective um, of like more traditional Christianity. It strikes me that you're closer to God than you even were before. I mean, you were given a prepackaged meaning to you and said, this is the way that it is. And you're going through the process of owning what you actually think and believe and working through these things. And like, that's always in my own life brought me closer to God. Um, it may feel like, like it's not, and it may seem to a lot of other people like it's not. But for me, that's like a genuine step of faith to admit like what you think, to admit what you believe and to start working through it. No, I appreciate that. And I think if you really, if you genuinely do hold to a concept of, of God loving the world, like you can, you can stray all you want intellectually or psychologically or emotionally or whatever you want, but God's going to hold you at the end of the day. If you really believe that, then, then being completely honest with how much you believe or don't believe things is not a threat. Yeah. And so you can that's what I wish for the everyone. Sun. The sun doesn't have to revolve around you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can that's deny comforting. the sun all I want. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying that like, but if it's there, it's yeah. still going to be there at the end of the day. Yeah, if if the big if, if it is there, yeah. But I do think like even people that I know who don't have any concept of faith do believe in like a higher energy or something that connects us all. And I think what everyone wants is world peace in this time, like not just this time of the year, but this time of the world. Um, We live in an an insanely violent world. And so what is a vision of peace that will draw us forward and not giving up and trying to make peace when it feels impossible. And I think in the midst of all that, going back to the interview you did last week, like you have art and outside of all that, like there's something about being an artist and creating art and appreciating art in whatever form it comes into that, that gives us a place to have quote unquote magical thinking gives us a place in the midst of our, you know, uh, scholarship and criticism and all that kind of stuff to have, 
meaning and inspiration and hope. Yeah, and magical thinking doesn't mean untrue. It doesn't mean you're intentionally exactly. adopting a thing that's untrue. You're approximating the mysterious and what's ungraspable. So that's, yeah, we that's don't, actually we don't what's going through my mind right now is the appeal to mystery is actually really powerful. It's not just a cop-out. There are some people who say, oh, let's just leave it up to mystery. And that's definitely a cop-out. They don't want to dig into the science of things. But at the end of the day, even if we understood you know, why everything moves the way it does in our universe, we still would not know if there was a greater context that we belong to that we cannot perceive. So I think that like being open to that mystery, that there is more meaning out there than just ourselves gives me energy to create meaning here while I'm here. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. Mistletoe home where you can see every couple tries to stop. Rocking around the Christmas tree, let the Christmas spirit ring. Later we'll have some pumpkin. Obviously, the center of our holiday experience is gift giving, which has its good and bad aspects that we've talked about throughout the show, and we just kind of talked about a little bit. So let's let's go ahead and share out of all the Christmases we've had, one or two or whatever, one of the gifts that it's not not necessarily our favorite, but one that really stands out that we got, whether it's simple and sentimental or expensive and amazing. Does it have to be given to us or it's just someone else's okay? I think you can do someone else. Yeah. Okay. The first thing that comes to mind is my little sister, when she was like two or three years old, she was this teeny itty bitty thing. And she'd been asking for an oopsie daisy doll for like months. It was like, I don't know this doll that like walked and then fell down or I, I don't even remember what a noopsie daisy all was it was like the specific doll that she wanted and um and the reason the story lives in infamy is because my father always insisted that he videotape us growing up on christmas morning so we're all like always just nasty in our pajamas you know and he 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 just wanted that footage so anyway we we have watched this a couple of times since because she's now in her 20s right so this is a long time ago but she, we get to the end of the presents, Christmas present opening in my family is like a three hour process, sometimes longer. We go and order and we take our time and it like drives anybody who's visiting for Christmas or like new relatives, it's like drives them up the freaking <laughs> wall because we just, we, we take, it takes the whole evening. You open it slowly. You kiss the person who gave it to you on the oh, cheek. Yeah. You try cheek, it on. You say thank you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also my family just gives a, an extraordinary amount of presents, even if it's like a piece of paper wrapped in paper that's like sentimental. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I had this ticket stuff and I thought of you. Like it's, it's really, it, we're ridiculously sentimental. Anyway, so my, my little sister, um, she tears off maybe an inch of wrapping paper off this box at the end of the Christmas present process an inch of paper and she goes it's an oopsie daisy doll we have no idea to this day how in the world she knew that this doll was the doll but she was freaking freaking out like she got her doll but like how how do kids know that stuff i mean maybe that's that's like faith right there because they're like <laughs> what if it <laughs> wasn't right. an oopsie daisy doll if it was like an oopsie birdie bottle doll or something and then she's i don't know Oh, now that's magic. That, yeah, that is magic. It was Christmas awesome. magic. What about you, Jeff? Well, um, at the dawn of the console wars. <laughs> That's a good way to start anything right there. At the dawn of the console wars. <laughs> people were bored and they didn't know what to do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I, this might age me a little bit, but my uh, this was like before Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. This was 
you know, when the Nintendo first came out and there was Nintendo and there was Sega. And for my birthday previous to this Christmas, I received a Sega Master System. And no one knows what that is because it's crap. (laughs) And I hated it. And all my friends had Nintendos and I really wanted to play Zelda and Super Mario Brothers, but I was stuck with Wonder Boy. Oh, no. I know, right? You probably never recovered, huh? I didn't until Christmas morning came. And I opened that sweet, beautiful package and it was a regular Nintendo, a super entertainment system. No, it's regular Nintendo entertainment system, along with my first gold metallic copy of the first Zelda game. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. Did you get Duck Hunt? Of course. Of course. Yeah. Everybody did. Everyone. Yeah, that was back in the day when you actually got a game with your I still don't understand how they did I still don't see how. I was about to say, I still don't understand (laughs) how how it worked, man. Because I always thought they were like shooting lasers or something, but that's that's it can't know. be it, it can't no be sense. right right they always there must do. be like a gyroscope inside or maybe it just randomly plots something on the tv don't ruin the magic man you. it just for, worked <laughs> for those of you who are too young to know what duck hunt is so for original nintendo back in the day um you know with like mario brothers and all that a lot of times you got like this little like orange gun thing that was kind of a controller and there was like these little pixelated ducks that would flap across the screen and you could shoot the ducks it's kind of weird now that i'm describing it with this giant like plastic gun thing but somehow it knew like the gun knew where the ducks were on any tv screen and it i just i i still don't understand how it worked i got to level 99 you just go really close to the tv that's what we would do <laughs> Dang, so my, I never thought my, of that. My favorite present is actually a console too. Um, you even mentioned it, the Sega Genesis when it came out. Um, we got a Sega Genesis, but we had a. My family did like the treasure hunt thing every once in a while. So my dad like hid scraps of paper with you know like little riddles on them, and oh, where it's really cold or something. And we ran downstairs, and there was a um, a piece of paper in the freezer that said, "Now you have to go somewhere that's really hot." And we ran upstairs, and it's like underneath the fireplace there's you know a scrap of paper so i think like the hunt that's for so it, fun we all knew it was going to be a sega genesis because we wanted it so badly um and by the end you know we, we found it it was somewhere and got all excited and all we do is like play video games all night and pass out <laughs> it was really fun but having brothers on, on a scavenger hunt was probably my favorite memory i did want to say my least favorite um present though because i'm still very upset about it and you'll see why uh, we were given money to give presents um, to our brothers one one year. I think I might have been in like seventh grade. And uh, I bought my little brother Pokemon cards because they had just come out like the very, very first year. Uh, and he was so excited about them. So I bought Pokemon cards. It was an amazing present. I was so excited to give it to him. I gave it to him. And he gave me uh, that year a pen that he had found and wrapped it up. <laughs> And, and uh, kept we the money. Were, yeah, we already spent it on something else, and we were told specifically to buy. And like, I opened this up, and it was like a fifty cent pen or something that he had bought. And I just like sat there and looked at it, and like kind of got upset. And my parents were like, "Alan, don't get upset. He gave you a present. You have to thank him." And I was like, I was just pissed. I was so <laughs> angry that I had all this thought, and that's what he gave me. And you, oh, I'm, I'm assuming you followed the rules, and you, you, you let your head down, and you said, "Okay, I'm sorry." No, I thank was you. angry. I was, I was just like fuming the whole that's time. That's pretty messed up. Been. And then I shoved it all, you know, deep down inside, and I still get angry at him. Sometimes. Wait, the pen or your feelings, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff? 
Jeff. Ah, <laughs> the feelings. <laughs> the feelings. All right, that's good. Let's move on to our second topic now. Let's All right, yes. Let's let's continue this on the other side of music. Just like the ones I used to know Where those streets are Our second topic. This is this is my topic. This is the one I wanted to bring to the table. This is Jeff's soapbox. It is, because it's it's irritated for me me for a long time. It's this whole idea of obviously we've all heard of the war on Christmas. That somehow our evil secular culture is trying to eliminate Christmas from the vernacular of American culture. Which number one is ridiculous because eliminating Christmas is completely counterintuitive to our economic system without Christmas, then there's no black Friday and there's no greedy corporations and all that stuff. But this whole idea that if we don't say Christmas, that somehow we're negating Christian tradition or anything like that. And I remember when you mean, if we say happy holidays instead, is that what people say? Exactly. Happy holidays. And, and we make these statements and obviously I feel like, I feel like the war on Christmas is kind of the the bringing together of all the things that irritate the three of us about evangelicalism, which pushed us away from it in the first place. And it kind of comes together during the year for this like evil Santa sack full of bullcrap. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that people are like uh, they sense the death of Christendom, how like the 1950s and before Christianity was like. Everybody went to church and it was the norm and now there's a shift away from it and people are scared. And so they're, you know, they don't Christmas is like one instance of that. And so they the imperial but, imperial order. Yeah. And, and, and it's OK. No to feel, longer. It's OK to feel that shift. But what you're saying is ascribing evil atten- intent to all of society is like going a step too far. Right. Yes, like, exactly. <laughs> like, well, for instance, like, obviously, I think the big thing this year was the. The Starbucks. Oh, cups. don't say it. You know oh, I mean? God. Yay. <laughs> I, I bleed red for okay. Starbucks. Which I'm honestly, like, kind of gave me hope because my my Facebook profile is kind of my gauge as far as like <laughs> conservative Christianity and where it is because I still have a lot of people on there that I love dearly that are amazing people, but that have completely different or that share my old views of how Christianity is. And I would say the majority of them rejected the whole dumb Starbucks coffee cup that's because it was only one guy and it blew way out of proportion i I honestly don't think there was anyone except this one guy who was mad about it yeah actually absolutely and i and but i think that because it was so ridiculous coming from this one guy that i think it's kind of one of those things where you hope and this is my hope i don't i don't have anything to back it up and i'm just hoping that is the case is that it was so ridiculous and so dumb that it maybe caused the majority of the Christians that kind of get caught up in it anyway mm-hmm. every year to stop and go, you know what? This whole thing is silly. Maybe yeah. it's time to drop it. So I, I'd like to push back against that just a tiny bit. Like, yeah, it was one guy, but he has the platform he does because he's been saying stuff like that for so long. And people, he he has like a following of hundreds of thousands of people that um, give voice to that kind of feeling and those kinds of things. So yeah, this was like the latest example and people kind of moved away from that, but he, he says that stuff all the time and that stuff's out there. Um, yeah. He says some really like, we're not even going to put a link in the show notes because no. I don't want to bring it to there, but if you want it, you can find it. This guy he has, you know, the backwards red hat and all that kind of stuff, but he says some awful things. He even like, I don't know. He's he's brought guns out in some of his videos. An assault rifle. Yeah, yeah, and and said we're going to shoot people. Yeah, Yeah. it's pretty bad. 
But I, I, I just want to say about Starbucks, I was offended that they used my religion to sell me coffee in the first place. Just going to say that. <laughs> How did they use your religion? If though? someone says Merry Christmas, for instance, um, if someone says Merry Christmas and then they're just trying to sell a product and they're using. Okay, Christmas has become that's a true. secular okay. holiday. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And this we, is what pisses me yeah, off is that the true. people who get upset about this also will be like, ha ha, Santa Claus, you know, yeah. and Santa's cool. But all of a sudden, like, happy holidays is not cool. We do need Apparently, to give voice to people who are not Christians who do want to celebrate Christmas because it has a life of its own and it has a whole history, has a whole American history to it that they appreciate and they should be allowed to celebrate that whether they're Christians or not. And they can buy into that. I've read an article recently where a guy said like, I don't like this whole, you know, moving away from Christmas. He's not a Christian, but he appreciates it because that's, there's a history to it. And that's awesome. But what I'm just saying is as a Christian, um, some people are, some people want to see like, Christianity used in all of this like corporate American system. But to me, it strikes me. And and this is just me personally. And I wouldn't say this. I guess I am saying this out loud on a podcast, but it offends me that they've blurred the line between selling me crap and what I believe. You get what I'm saying? Like, I, I guess advertising offends me anyway, even if I appreciated something that wasn't religious. I don't like being manipulated into buying stuff, but especially when it comes to like what I believe about God, which is very different than consumerism and capitalism. It's tough for me to see that co-opted in the first place. So I appreciate people who take religious stuff off of their products personally. Well, you know what you should do, Alan, is that you're so mad at it. You should get a bunch of people to buy a bunch of coffee because you want to show them by giving them your money. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That whole thing was so silly. But you guys know the war in Christmas is over, according to Fox News. Really? Oh, (laughs) Well, they invented yeah. it, so if they say it's over, it's over. Well, okay, and I want to say something about, you know, consent and media in a moment in, in quote-unquote news outlets. But yeah, apparently, after a Republican debate on CNN on in the weekend of the, a couple weeks ago, the moderator said Merry Christmas, and then the Fox News people after that um, said that that was the best part of the debate. And then um, because because at the beginning, they said everyone put their hand on their heart and pledge allegiance to the flag. And at the end, um, Wolf Blitzer, the moderator, wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Wow. So apparently McFarland, who's a Fox News commentator, said, so guess what? Political correctness is dead. The war on Christmas is over. Wow. Put a nail on it. Put a nail in it. And then someone off camera said, <laughs> put a nail someone in off it. camera. No way. Yeah. Put a nail in it. And then someone off camera actually said, um, we won. We won. What? <laughs> So, man, the war on Christmas has been a, a Fox News talking point for what, like the last decade. They like this; it sells. It's it's like it's like their holiday special, right? Like every year, you look forward to the holiday special. Fox News's coverage is the the war on Christmas. I just recently watched a few hours of Fox News because I was with some people I love, and they were watching Fox News. And so, as I'm watching it, a religious advertisement came on, and I was expecting it to be, you know, like the Mormon Church or the Evangelical Church or someone like advertising their religion. And it had like text of, you know, a savior is born, and there was like it was like a really slow moving um, uh, stained glass window of the nativity scene, and then it said "Merry Christmas" on the bottom, and then it had Fox News on the right side. So it was like literally a thirty second religious thing, but it was just from Fox News saying like. Merry Christmas or whatever. I I seriously think the whole thing is just indicative of like the news outlets that we have today being able to drum people up emotionally. Okay, so that you just you just got right to it for me is that people don't realize you're being played. 
Like you may feel yeah. like people are like supporting your faith. But those people have really crappy agendas. <laughs> like they want ratings. Not, they do. They want ratings. They want like so sensationalism. They, they want to get you pissed. And that's the opposite of Christmas. Jesus, literally Jesus. Look at Jesus. Like <laughs> you That's it was a. You're it was taking a my Christmas trees away. Yeah, and, and, and that's <laughs> the thing. It was it was about? a moment of humility. Like Jesus was born to a very poor family. Like it, it, I don't get how we can get upset at like this event that that's not flashy in and of itself in, in that certain sense. Like it just is ironic that that has become a sticking point of getting angry and upset at other people. Well, and really the only victims of this war are retail workers and Starbucks baristas. Like they have to deal with the brunt of all the people. Be- I've, <laughs> I've been in line behind people that have said some <laughs> awful things like, like to say Merry Christmas in like, like as Merry Christmas, like that's the opposite of what those Merry the, Christmas means. Those like are the, the children. <laughs> those are the children of the Crusaders. I just have to say it. Okay. I have a friend that's, who works that's at their Starbucks. New crusade. I have a friend who works at Starbucks, and they were saying that they have they they are so annoyed by the whole Christmas cup thing because everyone took it upon themselves to apologize for the Christmas cup <laughs> thing. So they didn't yeah, get anybody like that. mad about the cups. Yeah. They got everyone it apologizing was that people are mad about the cups. And, and, and oh so yeah, God. it was a straw man. There like it didn't have any. Nobody was really upset about it. But I do think. You can't just dismiss it as being like irrelevant because that's the kind of thing that has happened in the past. Okay, so that's why I don't get mad at the companies using marketing tactics to sell stuff during this time of year. They're trying to get into the black, you know, because a lot of them have been in debt all year. And guess what? The big secret is they're trying to sell you stuff. They're very upfront about it. Hey, we're trying to sell you stuff. (laughs) You know, there's no ulterior motive happening there. I don't get mad at that. I get mad at the state of journalism in this country and things claiming to be news that that, are spin people, that spin people in a tizzy and make false claims about what is like completely blurring the line between opinion and reporting. It's yeah, just anytime your wrong. news news reporter says, isn't that stupid? Doesn't that make you feel and like you have to check yourself and wonder, am I getting the facts from journalism or am I <laughs> being fed a point of view for sure? And this is a this is a larger problem than just Fox. I just want to say that. Oh, because, it is. Like, yes. for example, I recently found out that after um, after I know we talk about 9-11 a lot and I want to like pay homage to the memory. I don't want to talk about it flippantly within a silly conversation, but this is for serious. After 9-11, um, the people of Russia under Putin donated a gorgeous monument in um, in honor of those the lives lost. And how many of us have heard about this? It's like 100 feet tall. I think I it's haven't. in New Jersey. Okay, there was no coverage of this because we want to keep up this Cold War mythos that Russia is bad, you know? But this monument is gorgeous. It's It features like these broken, two broken bricks and this giant black teardrop that's falling from the sky. Um, I mean, it's it's an incredible gesture of solidarity. But this is just goes to say that like our, our news coverage and our media is so messed up in this country um, that we don't hear, we, we hear a slant no matter who you're talking to. Like you're always going to hear bias. Yeah. And all you have really to do is look bias. at the cover of Time, Time Magazine in different countries. Every other country will have the same thing, but we'll have something stupid. Even BBC America and BBC World is a huge difference, which is is gross. It's not even a U.S. company. Well, we need to be spoon-fed things that make us feel good (laughs) or at least like that, you know, fit into our American myth. We just need we just need ratings. I mean, that's (laughs) that's what you need. You need ratings. Capitalism. 
Exactly. All right. Well, I think that's enough uh, <laughs> negativity. Let's go on. Let's enough go. credence to give to the quote unquote war. But on it's Christmas. over. So let's so uh, let's celebrate it's over. Victory Day. <laughs> that's right. It's over. We won. Christmas we won. lives. <laughs> well, technically, we lost. Right. Uh, this is uh, so fun. anyway. All right. So let's let's talk about our favorite Christmas songs. I will be the first to admit that for the most part, I do not like Christmas music. I get annoyed when they start playing it all the time. So I have, I always try to find out alternative, uh, I don't know, versions of songs so that I can make it palatable. And then slowly over the years, I've sort of grown to to like it. And, and I'm, I'm getting into the place where I might love it next year. <laughs> <laughs> You're on a trajectory. Mm-hmm. Great. Yes. Very cool. <laughs> So we we just say like a favorite song or a couple of them or list them or whatever. So Alan, why don't you go ahead and start? I don't have anything like that immediately jumps out. But the first song that came to mind and that I hear in my head when I hear Christmas music is Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. And I know that's not the name of the song. It's called um, the Christmas but song. That's, but that's what I call it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. That's why you don't The remember. reason I like that song. That's why I don't remember. The reason I like that song is I long for the time when people had open fires in their household. And roasted chestnuts. You would take a nostalgic on one. You would <laughs> absolutely. And, and and it has no other meaning for me other than like I long for that period of time and for all the people that experienced that. You know, it's wonderful. I've been building fires actually at our house. I have a. This is really interesting, kind of to me. I have an um, on Twitter. I follow the air quality management district or whatever, something like that, um, in the area that I live. And so I. Uh, Check to see what the air quality is for the day. And if it's like bad, I won't burn firewood because it's not good for the um, surrounding neighbors and stuff like that. And for us, but on days where it's completely clear, I love making fires lately. I've been doing it quite often. I'm so jealous you have a fireplace. That's awesome. I know it's wonderful. I do not have chestnuts though. Um, I don't even know what they look like to be completely honest. (laughs) They're super difficult to roast and peel, by the way. You've tried this. I imagine walnuts that have not been shelled no, they're on top totally of a different. fireplace. Don't don't change. No, no. Don't tell me any differently, though, because that's what my image is. It's even is. better. Like, my if you're nostalgic. into nostalgia and, like, old-timey stuff, they're super difficult and old-timey annoying to stuff. cook and prepare, just like everything was before we had good things. <laughs> uh, you young generation <laughs> with all your fancy contraptions Aww. and one stuff done you call now. call me young. Thank you. You don't know how. Yeah, okay. Mona, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> um... I think I love the song Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. It makes me really happy. <laughs> I don't know why. Like that little weird like girl's voice in the, I don't know. Just That makes me I think of bopping. Home Alone where he's dancing yeah, the, all it does. I was going to say too. the whole Home Alone soundtrack. Immediately. The whole thing <laughs> is so good. And the one the do 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 yes. do do dreaming. Yeah, that one. Man, it just Love it. I'm smiling right now, like huge. I just like it. Like and the Charlie too. Brown Christmas soundtrack also. I of course I like the soundtrack. Yeah. The soundtrack makes me happy every time it comes on. I started listening to that one right after Thanksgiving for like a week straight. Maybe me maybe too. two weeks straight. Just Oh, that's cool. We me, are related. It makes me feel magical. <laughs> yeah. All right. Mine is brand new. It came out this year. It's from a metal band called 
August Burns Red, and they they did the theme of Home Alone, like the the orchestral theme with like metal music and electric guitar. It is it's pretty amazing. So you know, wow. like, oh, it's so good. I posted on my Facebook. We'll look it's that up. amazing if you two want to check it out. And we'll oh, I'll it. check it out. Jeff, Jeff, your your Christmas is intense. Like, let's talk about the war on Christmas and listen to metal music. <laughs> it is. Let's not let's not Baby be stereotypical Jesus. about people who like metal. How about? <laughs> oh, my bad. Uh, excuse me. But it's it's fantastic. And then my other one is like I like O Come O Come Emmanuel, but there's a version. Ooh, this yeah. is left over from my evangelical days. There's a version that uh, that's not a Christmas song. Sorry, that's a that's an Advent song technically. Well, Advent or not, Christmas Advent, it's the same thing. <laughs> I was just saying it's not a Christmas. Listen, oh you, my God, who cares? You can have song. your. Little... It's true, no, because you're saying O Come Emmanuel. That means Emmanuel has not come yet. Oh my goodness! Technically, you're such a. <laughs> And no, it's actually funny. It's an argument at our church right now. There are some people who think there should be no hymns. I mean, uh, no carols until after Christmas because that's when Jesus came. Then you sing Christmas carols after Christmas for like a couple Sundays. Ugh. And there are other people who want Christmas songs before. Traditionally, you would not sing anything necessarily about Jesus being born until Christmas. And then you would sing that stuff. But nobody wants to do that, right? Like you want to sing carols in December. Like that's not... So that's anyway, fascinating. It's so like, my next, the other song that I was, <laughs> it's uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, a Christmas song, Advent, whatever you want to call it, is, uh, it's done by Third Day, you know, a Christian band. They have this really cool, like, version of it that, I don't know, I really like. I still listen to it every year. Some leftover, I don't, I don't want to say baggage, but some things left over from my evangelical Christian music only days. Baggage of good stuff. All right. All right, Alan, since you're you're already prepared to go with Advent and biblical stuff on the other side of the music, we'll we'll get into your demythologizing all the things we love about Christmas. All right, so our final topic for today is about the inn and some of the the biblical stories that we perhaps accept as true that may not be as true as we think. So, Alan, (laughs) take it away. Well, when I heard we each get to choose our little mini topic, we get our little soapbox. I got excited because I will nerd out and go biblical studies on anybody any day that I have the opportunity. (laughs) Um, So, basically, you've heard, you know, the... Christmas story, you've seen the nativity scene. And to say that there were no magi there, you know, the wise men, that's completely passe. Everybody knows that, you know, the nativity scene is incorrect because these wise men showed up in actually Matthew. There's two tellings of the gospel of the the birth of Jesus. One's in Matthew, one's in Luke. And in Matthew, these people visit, but Jesus is a young boy. Um, So technically they shouldn't be there, but everyone knows that. They might not know, you know, it doesn't say three magi, by the way. There are three presents that are named, but it just says wise men. It doesn't say how many. Anyway, we're setting that aside because it's passe and we want to be cutting edge, right? Cutting edge on a 2000 year old story. Not sure how that works, but here we go. So in Luke chapter two, it talks about there not being place for Joseph and Mary at the inn, right? Most people know that they go to the inn. There's this really mean, mean innkeeper that says, There's no room for God here, right? We don't want to have you and your 
weird pregnant wife to come stay in here. So go out back, go with the animals and Jesus is born. He's laid inside of a feeding trough, a manger because there was no room for them in the end. That's Luke chapter two, verse seven. Did you know that the word that is translated in kataluma in Greek actually refers not just to inns, like a place where people would come and stay from out of town, but also to the guest room that you would have in your house for when guests visited. It's the same word in Luke that's used for upper room when they come into the city and they stay and they have a meal in the upper room. Um, And to translate it in is to make a decision that that's what you're going to go with. Like this happens all the time in, um, in criticism in the Bible, people have to translate from the Greek to the English. So there is another in, in Luke in the, the same author wrote, um, or the same text later in the story, Jesus tells us, tells a parable about the good Samaritan, a guy finds someone in the street who needs help and pays for his room at the Panda Kion, which is a known in everybody knows that's what you translate it in Greek. So we have an instance of the same word in Jesus's birth being used for upper room, not in. And we have an instance for the word in a different word being used by Jesus later in the story. You would naturally say that probably means the kataluma of Jesus's birth and the one of his um, upper room experience are the same. So there is no mention of an innkeeper in Luke. There's no mention of you know him saying this or saying that. It just says that Jesus was laid inside of a feeding trough because there was no room for him in the what I am saying is the upper room. But um, there's one more reason why I think uh, that this should be translated upper room or guest room and not in, and that is Joseph was returning to his hometown where there was likely family in the area. And so when you return to your hometown, you don't go stay at the hotel, unless you're Jeff, maybe. You You stay stay with with family. (laughs) Sorry, Jeff. (laughs) No, it's true. I'd rather stay at a hotel than relatives' house. So so basically, like, think about this. They know the census is coming. They know that Mary is pregnant because, you know, she's having birth during the census. So they know ahead of time that they're going to have to travel to his hometown. So in a different reading which is completely biblical. If you interpret Luke this way, instead of in, you interpret upper room. Mary and Joseph might have gone there early to his family. They would get set up inside of the house. And as the census approached, more and more family and friends kept coming to town, staying in this household, and the guests would stay in the upper room. It got so crowded that there was no room for Jesus to be born in the upper room. So they went to the bottom floor of the house where the animals were kept during the winter because it was cold and Jesus was born surrounded by midwives, Mary family. And he came into the world inside of a family home, which is completely different <laughs> than the way we tell well, it. Th- that makes Joseph's family's jerks. Like no one said, no, no, you take the upper room. I'll go downstairs. No, it would actually, <laughs> it would actually be, <laughs> it would be warmer. It would be warmer down there though. And quieter yeah, but and darker smell like things like that you would crap. associate <laughs> But but you wouldn't want to touch a woman having, you know, birth because it would make you unclean. It would just make sense that she is in this quiet, like surrounded by warmth um, area. It's actually a loving move instead of a jerk move. Let's further complicate this, though, because the census that Luke talks about in in um, in the first couple of chapters didn't. It actually happened about 10 years before Jesus was born. 
Okay, yeah. There, there's so, debates about, yeah, absolutely. So likely the whole story is just authorial, um, like embellishment, the whole thing. You're saying it's but creative I, license? I think the whole thing's creative license. Yeah. Well, the, there was there was incentive for Luke to show um, Joseph and Mary is trying to be really good Roman citizens because Luke has written to the imperial order. Luke is trying to show the citizenship and that participating in the Roman census was important to Mary and Joseph, that they were a good law abiding citizens in the Roman realm in the imperial sort of order um so to show that's them the completely particip- a possibility but luke also like appeals to the poor crowd luke is very big on supporting how like th- the god is god for the poor and Jesus yeah but is the- i agree i agree but luke is addressed to yeah the it's roman true. empire yes luke yes. is addressed that's that's the agenda of luke I'm, I'm not saying agenda in a bad way but that's that's the authorial the author agenda of luke so be, it's almost impossible to reconstruct what actually happened in Jesus's life because we're not given like a snapshot of history as we know it. We are given stories in the Gospels that are um, I believe they're inspired. I believe they're authoritative, authoritative for me. But um, it, it's not like we're given history. We're given authors stories about that. And that's how history was written back then. It, you wouldn't expect it to look like we have it now. Anyway, setting that aside, whether it happened or not, like I, I I'm stepping into like, what did the author intend when the author wrote, did the author intend to say that Mary and Joseph and Jesus had no room in the inn, or did the author literally write, they had no room in the guest room at the family house that they were staying. So they went into the basement. And I think those are two different pictures. Like one, one for me, one for me is a lot more like sexier than the other, right? Oh, like, oh, there's no room for Jesus in the inn. So they have to like or go there's be no born room in, in the a barn. F- right? Or the family rejected them for being that's um, true, but that's, unorthodox. So that's, that's the third thing. But I don't think they rejected him because it's, it's not as much of a scandal as we make it out to be. I know teen pregnancy was a big deal in the 50s and, you know, and now like uh, up till now. But I don't think that it was the scandal that we thought it was. Back then, I think Joseph agreed. Don't the talk about the shamefulness of of her being pregnant outside of wedlock? Like mm, he had, I think he had every right to not sure, marry her. But Joseph agreeing not to send her away, other people wouldn't have known that. Like Joseph, if Joseph agreed to keep her and keep it quiet, there was he assumed that shame in that culture. There, there, it wasn't a shame for them to stay together or stay at a house. Because it wasn't like if he sent her away, she would have been ashamed in in, in society. So I, I think it's less scandalous outside of the family than than we think it. Than it well, sounds and not like. knowing like not knowing the narrative. I mean, he agreed to marry her, so he could have married so soon that no one even knew she was pregnant, and they were just married and yes. got pregnant. Like, yeah. So there's a good possibility the community didn't that they even assumed it was Joseph. Really baby. think about it. Yeah, exactly. And and or and, at least in Luke's telling of the story. And so I, I think um, I think what this does for me is like. I've preached sermons and wrote blog posts on how like, you know, the shame and smell the dung and like, you know, think about there's no room for Jesus, but, you know, coming to us, there's a different feeling when you think about Jesus being surrounded by family. And there's so much family there that he has to be born in the basement because it's just filled with life and love and connection. And for me, it's like, 
as a middle child, that speaks to me so much more than the other story, because Jesus was just one of all of these people who were born, who are connected to that place. And he's being counted on the census as one of like literally thousands and thousands of people. And so for me, it's not about the special moment. I do realize shepherds, you know, shepherds come and and see Jesus. And in, in Matthew's telling, there's magi who come. But for me, Jesus is just one of the many that is born. And I think that's what's so special about Christmas to me, is that Jesus wasn't this emperor who stood up in the story and took his seat on the throne. He was this kid who was born into too many people shoved into a household for the holidays. And I think that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I might use that on Sunday. I'm preaching Sunday, there so I go. might use that. Uh, so thanks, Alan, for doing my uh, work for me. <laughs> Thank you, Irenacast. You could, <laughs> you could also see as uh, like a prophetic foretelling. Yes. Like uh, yes, a, a prophet is not mm. a foreshadow. That's what it is. A prophet is not accepted in their own home. And that's a constant gospel theme in, in a lot of the narratives. Yeah. But the idea that maybe that, that Jesus was rejected even as a baby from his place of origin is foretelling it, the author's trying to pre- depict him as a prophet from birth, which is really, really if, interesting. If it's translated in, that makes sense. If it's translated, no well, room in the upper trans- room. No, the, it, it could be both ways, though. But okay, but the, the the way I'm saying it as I think the author is portraying Jesus was born in a regular home because it was it was known that the, the animals were kept in the bottom floor. Animals were kept inside the house. That wasn't like it's so funny. We we read this story with the lens of like 1700s, 1600s, especially in America, where your animals were kept outside inside of a shed somewhere. But that wasn't the case when Jesus was actually born and when this gospel was written, it it wasn't this wood manger (laughs) that is like North American from the 16 and 1700s. It was more, um, obviously they had some cave outcroppings and stuff. And some people have used that to depict it, but it would have been inside the house, especially if it was cold in that house was real smelly. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's just, it's just a different thing. I think it's funny. And I think we should be allowed to retell the story in meaningful ways to us. Um, especially like looking through, I love looking through art and seeing, um, Jesus and the Holy family depicted in different clothes, different time settings, different time periods. But the only danger is when we think our retelling, our North American wood manger scene telling is the only correct way. I think that's when it gets a little bit dangerous and people don't even realize they're making that interpretive decision when they read this story to read it in as opposed to up. Well, it's funny that the people that believe and hate the most when you use myth attached to the Bible are perpetuating the very thing that they hate so much. Yeah. And interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's good stuff. All right. <laughs> well, that, if, that's a good topic to end on. We're going to finish out our show with our favorite Christmas movies. We're going to close out our holiday extravaganza with our favorite Christmas movies. So mine is a bit divisive, but you may know what it already is. We know what uh, it already is. Yeah. Because you've been so passionate about it for it's so long. It's your favorite movie. Isn't it your favorite movie ever? No, not my no, favorite movie ever. Not ever. But, okay, but, but you're, you're going to go last there. because we have to build up to that, right? Exactly. Right. We're going to start. Correct. For those of you Mona, that maybe, yeah, let Mona, why don't you go ahead and show yours? We're going to start with Ho-Hum Mona's Christmas movies. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, bog. All right. Well, I have so many, so I'm just going to go with my top four, maybe five. Okay. 
five home alone oh my god we've already talked about it but it's so good the original the second one's also good but the original is just he's just so little and he gets lost and i know he, he, he and makes now his he's way like a world. broken person did you see that video of him later no but home alone later anyway he did a little youtube video of him oh. as an uber driver and he's like the same character, but it's pretty dark and he ends up torturing someone to death. I don't know. Something like that. Well, okay. <laughs> That's what happens when you leave your kids behind. All right. Yeah, apparently. So um, the holiday. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> the holiday Sorry. is probably the f- my number four for me. The holiday. Have you guys seen it with Jack Black? And um, I've so, not seen that. Uh, I wanted to, though. It's so cute. It's long. It's very like twinkly and charming. Um, that's a good one. The soundtrack is really nice. Um the number three probably would have to be Elf, um, just because Elf. Because the best way to spread che- Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. I made pasta the other day, and I just imagined putting <laughs> maple syrup, syrup on it for some reason. Yeah, I almost did. <laughs> That's no, so no. good. Every time I'll I make like snowflakes or something, I like have fantasies of like covering my whole house with snowflakes. And <laughs> so good. Santa's coming. Santa, you smell like beef and cheese. That yeah, movie's amazing. Santa, yeah. I think I'm gonna watch it when you we're should. done recording. Yeah. Um, number two is probably while you were sleeping because it's like it's just a very real emotive movie about loss and family during the holidays, and there's this like big misunderstanding, but it's like for good reasons and yeah it's just it's a beautiful movie and it's very funny actually and then my number one is little women it's not a christmas movie per se but there's a lot of christmas scenes in it and it feels very magical but i have three sisters and which is like in the movie there's it's a movie about four sisters four girls and a family (laughs) and it's just beautifully done and delightful and sad and funny and and charming so yeah you know growing up i you're all, you're all my cousins and growing up whenever I come from three, a family of three brothers. So whenever we went over to the four sisters family, it was always like, you guys are always watching sound of music or like, you know, seven brides for seven brothers and like all these other. <laughs> yeah, we were. No, my parents were <laughs> intent on us movies. being very classy women. So yes, we, we grew up with classy. all this, but little women, very different. Yeah. Little women's great. I mean, I get a little bit bored sometimes with historical movies cause they're slow, but that particular movie I watch every year with my sisters and we quote all the lines together <laughs> and we are. And you, totally you fun. magically become and we do each other's hair. Women. Yeah, no, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a sentimental <laughs> oh, that's thing. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, and we dress up in historical costumes now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be awesome. And eat, you know, food from that time period. Yeah, figgy pudding, mm. you know. Figgy pudding. Yeah. I never had figgy pudding, but I would like some. So if you want to mail some Apparently to it takes like a month to make. Did you know this? Really? Mm-hmm. I just read that on the internet. It's like preparing it for Jesus' birth, like Advent. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so mine... I had a hard time thinking of any. Um, when they said favorite Christmas movies, the first thing that popped into my mind were... Um, Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love that movie. So much fun. It's my um, wife's favorite. Yeah. I don't think I've seen it. it. Yeah. It has like Sinbad in it. He's like a mail carrier. I love Sinbad. <laughs> Can I just say what like. What happened to Sinbad? Why isn't he around? I don't know. He's, he's doing stand up. He's not. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. He's he's doing. He's still doing stuff. I just heard him on an interview. Um, uh, I don't know. A couple months ago on Mark Maron's podcast. Doing good. Nice. Mm, just just cool. FYI. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like that movie. I wouldn't call it my favorite. Um, I also thought of uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas in Jingle All the Way, which is <laughs> really Wait, ridiculous. Jingle uh, All the Way or a different No, movie? sorry. The other one. Um, I'll Be Home for Christmas. See, I don't even know the names of the movies that I'm thinking of. But this is what we used to watch when I was in like high school. Um, he tries to get home for Christmas with his girlfriend 
who's now married to that one guy. Who's that? Who's the person from uh, Seventh Heaven? The girl who is not. Anyway, I have no idea. I know you don't. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, I don't. Um, Anyway, so those are those are movies I think of. But I would say my favorite Christmas movie, because I, I can't really think of any, would be The Nightmare Before Christmas. Nice. It's wonderful. It's a good one. It's, you know, not entirely Christmassy, but I love it's Christmassy. I love the idea of the hero being torn between himself being the personification of Halloween and wanting to see this new world and wondering if he can live in it. Of course you do. Wonderful. Of course you do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Internal discord. That's what I'm talking about. All right. So I, if you go back and listen to our very first very first episode of Iranicast, we talk a little bit about the history on how we started this podcast. It was all because a long time ago, Alan started a little blog that turned into something amazing, which you're listening to right now. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the crappy seed that was the blog. That no, Alan no, because his blog inspired me to start a blog. But I realized quickly that I'm not a blog person. Everybody's got a blog. <laughs> exactly. It's true. But I did, I, pretty much I think one of only two or three blog posts that I put on mine was a top five Christmas movie list. So I'm, I'm just going to give the list and then I think we'll repost it on the site because my old blog yes. site is debunked. So Christmas Eve, this will be a pre-Christmas present for everyone. So if you want to, you know, find, get, get some of these movies together and uh, watch them on Christmas with your family, that'd be fantastic. But the first one, you probably don't want to watch with your family. It's called The Ref. And it is a, like a dark comedy that highlights family dysfunction. Just to give you an idea, it's with Kevin Spacey, though. So what else do you need? Um, but my favorite quote from the movie is is this. This is Kevin Spacey talking to his mother. He says, you know what I'm going to get you next Christmas, Mom? A big wooden cross so that every time you feel unappreciated for your sacrifices, you can climb on up on it and nail yourself to it. Oh, my God. <laughs> So good. Uh, feel free to use that line, by the way. That sounds so your own Christmas. Jeff, <laughs> so dude, good. at the beginning of this episode, before uh, we recorded, we were like, we want to talk about our like our least favorite Christmas songs and movies. And you're like, no, guys, this has to be uplifting. And now you're yeah, talking you about you wanted to be positive. Talking about family strife movies. Great. But that oh makes me gosh. happy. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> anyway, okay, number four, Elf, which we've talked about. This is a good yes, one. Classic. Universally Wonderful. adored. Yeah. I think so. Uh, number three, my other ones are pretty basic. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I Is that the one with classic. Chevy Chase? It's the one with Chevy Chase. And I don't like Chevy Chase, but this this movie and Three Amigos are the exceptions to the rule. Oh, oh Three, three amigos. amigos is so good. Yes. Oh my gosh. Great movie. Uh, number two, A Christmas Story. Classic. Love that. Don't shoot your eye out. Yes. Right. And I can tell you that, that movie bumps you can me out. have a successful marriage of over 15 years and still have your spouse not like this movie. Cause my wife doesn't like it. I don't, I don't like either. it either. It bums me out. What? Yeah. We come from healthy families, Jeff. <laughs> this is a healthy family. No, no, it is. Freaking oh my not. God. It is too. When's the last time you've hey, seen you it? Know, Jeff? I've actually had soap in my mouth. I watch mouth it before. every year. Okay. Hey, right. uh, unless you've put a bar of soap in your mouth, you don't realize how For its much historical of a context. This is. this is a nice, terrorizing movie. a poor kid no horrible You're, you guys are ridiculous every it's time, too close to home no for me. every time the know. kid sticks his tongue to the frozen pole like i feel it like in my body i'm like no no don't do oh, it man uh, maybe we would enjoy that movie if we had less empathy but it is the i don't know i don't know if we can continue this this show if we can continue the show you said you had a successful i know i put all my effort going. there i don't have any more effort <laughs> to put it's through the eyes of a kid though that's the whole point of it right 
Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. It is. And I think if you watch it as a kid. Anyway. All right. That's why it's horrifying. Hor- oh, my God. <laughs> I'm serious. All right. Speaking of horrifying, number one, Die Hard. Bum, Amazing bum, Christmas bum. movie. No one is and it's surprised not, for, fi- for it's 15 not- years. For 15 years, Jeff has been saying, you guys, seriously, this is a Christmas movie. Stop, you guys. This is seriously a Christmas movie. I've had movie. this conversation with you, Jeff, at least four other times. <laughs> four other I times so. in the span of knowing you. Die Hard is the best Christmas movie ever. So I'm glad that we had this segment. So you could explain it to everyone. <laughs> well, I feel like my whole my my crusade is being co-opted by by memes and everyone this year. Oh, like it's I, true. I have never heard another person say that, but this year there's like these little pictures going around saying it's not Christmas until you see Hans Gruber falling off the Nakatomi Tower. It's pretty That's awful. True. But also, did you start so those memes? So why is it a Christmas movie? Did you start those memes, Jeff? Read my blog like, good, to find out. Good triumphs over evil, maybe. Oh, there's so maybe. much more. Read the blog. I have a great <laughs> explanation <laughs> are you do you find like existential truth and like him walking across the floor barefoot of all the crushed christmas ornaments no it's not crushed christmas ornaments that's that's home alone he walks across glass oh it's not Same it's thing. not ornaments no. i'm getting my <laughs> christmas music <laughs> okay so l- l- just real quick yeah a christmas movie is basically there's a relationship that needs reconciling and all this stuff gets in the way of that happening but it always gets fixed by the by the time christmas morning happens like that's the that's basic true. premise of every christmas movie and that is yes. exactly mm. die hard he's estranged the, from his the wife. magic of christmas Exactly. Terrorists come and take over the Christmas party and he has to save his wife <laughs> so they can be reconciled just in time for Christmas morning to open Christmas presents with their kids. It's it's, it's Christmas. Preservation of Christmas. Yeah. It it absolutely Because of the war. And then they on keep Christmas. up their marital charade for another three years and then end it, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, they do actually. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. It's true. Just call it uh, quits, so, people. That's what the the moral of the story is. Uh, if you're on the what? fence, no. If you're on the fence about your relationship, <laughs> no, just no, don't say even, goodbye. Don't even Start say over. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> we believe in you. Yes, the magic think, of Christmas yes, is with you. Hard. Yes, think. Yes, think. Liberate well. yourself. That's true. And I have oh, some honorable gosh. mentions. Gremlins, amazing. What Scrooged. for Christmas? It's a Christmas movie. Rewatch it. It's definitely a Christmas movie. Again. Jeff just Jeff likes all these Christmas movies that are not Christmas movies. I, Scrooge. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. With, you know, that's a did great you ever Christmas see Scrooge? Movie. Scrooge is great. The Lord of the Rings is a great Christmas yes. movie. No. Okay, now you guys are just being ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we could. I could go on and on about Christmas movies. So I think we should we should wrap it up there. I think ah, anytime someone could go on and on about Christmas movies, they should wrap it up. I agree. Uh, wrap it up. Wow. Merry Christmas to you too, Alan. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry, Merry Christmas, guys. Hey. I love you so you know much. We need to reconcile. Family. Christmas is coming, okay? We do. Oh, yeah. We've had this, you know, up and up ups and downs across this episode, but in the end, like we're family, right? We're family. We're we get together. We are. Speaking of family, a special spoiler for all of you listening. Next yeah. week, we are all going to be in the same room. Not only that, but on the podcast, my wife and Alan's wife are going to join, and we are going to have a family discussion. You'll even hear some adorable little toddlers going on in the background, <laughs> yelling and screaming and having a good time. So we're going to we're going to kind of open up the window or the front door of our living room for the holidays and let you. Can I bring uh, a guest too? Maybe one of my sisters wants to join me. It, okay. it, the more the merrier. Great. More the merrier. It's going to be a merry. Can we do some carol singing? Family. <gasps> Can we sing some carols? No. Why? <laughs> because there's three of us in there that will not sing. Just exactly. So. Okay. Fine. The, the, the and we're all on. We're, we'll Kill all Joyce. be on microphones, and it's not like we can just hide in the back and manili vanilli. Manili vanilli. All right. So that'll do it for us this week. Thank you so much for joining our uh, rambling, our 
extravagant uh, rambling <laughs> adventure. Exactly. Adventure. Uh, if you like what you hear, or you'd like to hear how this show normally goes, you can check out our uh, whole show podcast at irenacast.com. And there you can find all the episodes that we've had. In addition to this particular episode, if you want to have links to the show notes or some of the things we talked about, you can do that at irenacast.com slash 42. Wow. 42. 42. Yay, us. 42 Crazy. weeks. We can talk yep. a lot, guys. Yes, we can. <laughs> That's what the experiment is all about. And anytime you want to give feedback to the show in general, you can do that at irenacast.com slash feedback. So this week, instead of our regular outro music, we're going to leave you with the musical stylings of our very own Mona. So for this week, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, all the other stuff. I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation. Thank you.